bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, March 19, 2019. Two years ago this week, Representatives Pat Tiberi and now Ways and Means Committee Chairman Richard Neal introduced the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act in the House. The legislation proposed numerous provisions to expand and enhance the low-income housing tax credit. This bipartisan bill ended up with 182 co-sponsors, but unfortunately it died in committee during the last congressional session. That legislation, though, did set the stage for enactment of income averaging as well as a temporary four-year 12.5% increase in 9% tax credits. There's a two-part analysis of the average income test available in the March and the upcoming April issues of the Novograd Journal of Tax Credits. The two articles are written by former IRS program analyst Grace Robertson and Mark Shelburne, a Novogratic alum who directs the Office of, Finance, of Housing Finance for the Georgia Department of Community Affairs. Now, the 2018 Omnibus Spending Bill was the vehicle for the enactment of the average income test and the 12.5% allocation increase. And that spending bill also increased the rental assistance administration cap to 455,000 units. I'll talk more about how RAD fits into the President's 2020 budget request in a bit. And as for the current congressional session, House and Senate lawmakers are expected to reintroduce the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act in this Congress sometime soon. Turning to this week's podcast, I have a lot of exciting news to share, including when we might expect the next tranche of Opportunity Zones guidance, and which housing and community development programs the White House 2020 budget request proposes to cut or eliminate. I'll also have new markets tax credit extenders legislation news, as well as program updates on the new market tax credit. I also have information about a reintroduced bill that could fund 3.2 million new homes for low and middle income families over the next 10 years. After that, I'll have some brief news, including some state-level legislative updates that could attract more affordable housing, community development, and renewable energy investment in those states. So, if you're ready, let's get started. In exciting news for those of us who work in Opportunity Zones and Community Development, we're one step closer to getting the second tranche of Opportunity Zones guidance from the IRS. The long-awaited guidance was finally submitted last Tuesday to the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, or OIRA. OIRA is a division of the White House Office of Management and Budget. Now, it's unclear how long OIRA will take to review these regulations. They're unlikely to complete the review within 10 days. And those involved in community development, like myself, are hoping it doesn't take as long as the first tranche of regulations, which was 36 days. My best guess would be around three weeks. Now, the first tranche of Opportunity Zones guidance answered some critical questions about this new incentive, but many significant questions remain. Groups like the Novogratic Opportunity Zones Working Group submitted comments to the IRS requesting additional guidance on a variety of specific matters. Now, I do expect the second tranche of guidance will address many of those questions. Now, hopefully by the end of this week, I'm going to be posting a list of the 20 issues that we at Novogratik are most closely following with respect to the next tranche of regulations. So do look for that blog post. Now addressing those 20 issues and others would provide greater clarity to those interested in the Opportunity Zones incentive 
That's why I'm watching these 20 so closely once the new regulations come out. Now, clarity with respect to these and other issues could bring many more investors off the sidelines and ultimately drive much more private investment into low-income communities. Now, we'll discuss this guidance and other Opportunity Zones hot topics at the Novogratic 2019 Opportunity Zone Spring Conference being held next month. The conference is being held in Denver, Colorado on Thursday, April 25th and Friday, April 26th, with a basics day on Wednesday, April 24th. Now, we're excited to have Dan Kowalski, advisor to Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, providing a keynote address to open the conference on Thursday morning. Now, you can register for the conference on the New York website, if you haven't done so already. I'll tweet the registration link, and I will include it in today's show notes. Now, I do encourage you to take a moment today to register, and also reserve your hotel room now. Our Opportunity Zones conference last year in October sold out. I don't want you to miss the conference, so register today. Now, staying with Opportunity Zones for the moment, the Opportunity Zones incentive was a hot topic at congressional hearings last week on the President's fiscal year 2020 budget. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said several times at the House and Senate hearings that Opportunity Zones guidance was a top priority for Treasury and that the second tranche of guidance would be released in the next few weeks. Now, at the Senate hearing, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, who's the lead author of the Opportunity Zones legislation, spoke about the status of Opportunity Zones regulations. Senator Scott said that much of the market for operating businesses has been frozen due to the need for additional clarity on particular rules. Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana expressed similar concerns about the limited guidance available. Senator Cassidy went on to ask about how to liquidate an Opportunity Zone business without disrupting the tax benefit to the investors in the Opportunity Fund, and how local businesses can meet key tests to qualify for the incentive, once again expressing concern about operating businesses. Now, Secretary Mnuchin didn't answer those questions directly, but he did say that Treasury is working closely with OIRA to advance the next set of regulations so that investments can go out into communities right away. Also on the topic of timing, Senator James Langford of Oklahoma asked how frequently Opportunity Zones regulations would be released. Secretary Mnuchin said that the upcoming tranche of regulations is quite material and that as Treasury gets feedback on other issues, Treasury will roll out more regulations. Now, as an aside, Senator Catherine Cortez Mastro of Nevada at the hearing also asked about the Low Income Housing Tax Credit general public use requirement that applies to bond finance developments, particularly how it affects veterans. Secretary Mnuchin essentially said he would get back to her with a response. Now, it is worth noting that the question was asked because it's an effort to get Treasury to prioritize IRS guidance to solve this issue. It's also worth noting that that question was followed after a day or two by a letter signed by six senators also asking the IRS to resolve the issue. Anyway, back to Opportunity Zones. In the House hearing, Representative Ron Kine of Wisconsin asked Secretary Mnuchin about what Treasury is planning to do about instituting data reporting requirements. More specifically, Representative Kine asked about reporting requirements to track where investments are going, the characteristics of qualified opportunity funds, and other areas related to accountability. Representative Terry Sewell of Alabama said that she would work with Representative Kine on drafting a matrix to measure the community benefits of Opportunity Zones investments. She wants to track benefits 
that include employment data and the other ancillary benefits of economic development. Secretary Mnuchin committed to collecting data on opportunity fund activity and did ask Congress for feedback on what data points should be included in that information collection. Secretary Mnuchin said that the only reason that Treasury has not released data reporting requirements yet is Treasury does not want to rush through them. Again, all of this focus on Opportunity Zones was at hearings that were actually the focus of the President's budget request. So now let's talk about that budget request. The Trump administration's $4.7 trillion budget request for fiscal year 2020 mostly spelled out bad news for affordable housing and community development. The request calls for $44.1 billion in gross HUD appropriations. This would reflect a $9.6 billion cut from the fiscal year 2019 level. That's a nearly 20% cut. The budget request would actually eliminate, that's right, eliminate the Community Development Block Grant Program, the Home Investment Partnerships Program, the Public Housing Capital Fund, as well as the Housing Trust Fund. Now the HUD budget blueprint would provide $37.9 billion to maintain services to low-income families currently receiving assistance. But the blueprint proposes reforms that would require work-able individuals to pay more and subject them to work at least 20 hours a week or participate in training or educational activities. The Trump administration proposed these reforms for work-able individuals in the past two budgets, but the Republican-controlled Congress rejected them. It's even more likely that a Democratic-controlled House will reject them. Now, the fiscal year 2020 budget request also spells out bad news for the Community Development Financial Institution Fund, or the CDFI Fund. The plan would eliminate CDFI Fund discretionary grant and direct loan funding, including the Capital Magnet Fund. The administration requests $14 million, though, for CDFI Fund administrative funding, including administering the New Markets Tax Credit. The Trump budget proposal would also repeal several incentives that help spur renewable energy investment. They include the Renewable Energy Investment Tax Credit repeal, repeal of the Accelerated Depreciation Option for Renewable Energy Property, repeal of the Exclusion of Utility Conservation Subsidies, and repeal of the Credit for Residential Energy Efficient Properties. I should note, though, that the budget request does include $100 million to prioritize Rental Assistance Demonstration, or RAD, program redevelopment of public housing properties in Opportunity Zones. While this special focus would be welcome for RAD transactions, this provision is not taken seriously because the budget zeroes out the Public Housing Capital Fund and drastically cuts the Public Housing Operating Fund. Both the Capital and Operating Fund are necessary for RAD transactions. Now the cuts to public housing are 45 times the amount proposed for RAD incremental funding. Trump's budget request for fiscal year 2019 included similar funding cuts, which Congress rejected. So what are the next steps here? Clearly, adoption of this budget is not a next step. Congress is expected to draft its fiscal year 2020 budget in the coming months. However, before that, Congress is not likely going to be able to pass any fiscal year 2020 spending bills until the budget draft passes legislation to address defense and non-defense spending caps for fiscal year 2020. Now a spending cap, by the way, or a spending cap bill, could be a vehicle to pass tax credit legislation. Now there's a long and difficult road ahead for the budget process, 
both dealing with the spending caps and then coming up with the budget. In the meantime, you can learn more about the Trump fiscal year 2020 budget proposal on our Notes on Democratic blog. I'll tweet the link today as well as include it in today's show notes. Now let's talk about tax extenders legislation. I mentioned in last week's podcast that I did expect new Marcus tax credit extenders legislation would be introduced shortly. Well, it was. Both the House and Senate versions of the new Marcus Tax Credit Extension Act were introduced last Tuesday. Now in the Senate, the lead sponsors are Republican Roy Blunt of Missouri and Democrat Ben Cardin of Maryland. And they're joined by the following Senate co-sponsors, Republican Rob Portman of Ohio, Democratic leader Chuck Schumer of New York, Republican Tim Scott of South Carolina, and Democrat Maria Cantwell of Washington. As with previous Congresses, Blunt is planning to pair each Senate Democratic co-sponsor with a Republican, and so the focus is on convincing Senate Republicans to co-sponsor. Now in the House, the bill is being led by Democratic Representative Terry Sewell of Alabama and Republicans Tom Reed of New York and Jason Smith of Missouri. The House bill has 20 co-sponsors so far, including 12 Democrats and 8 Republicans. 19 of those co-sponsors are on the Tax Writing Ways and Means Committee. That 19 makes up 45% of the committee. Just a few more, and we'll have more than half. Now, the legislation would make the new Marcus tax credit a permanent part of the tax code. Under current law, this incentive is scheduled to expire after the 2019 allocations. Now, the bills would also increase the annual new Marcus tax credit allocation to about $5 billion and provide an annual inflation adjustment to preserve the value of the credit. Now, I'd mentioned in last week's podcast that without an adjustment, inflation has reduced the value of the new market tax credit by 30% from 2001 to 2019. Now, the legislation would allow the new market tax credit to be claimed against alternative minimum tax, putting it on par with the long lasting tax credit, historic tax credit, and both renewable energy tax credits. Now, the alternative minimum tax offset should help with new market tax credit investor demand and pricing which would mean more dollars could reach economically underserved communities. So the critical question that you're probably wondering is, yeah, but how will these bills advance? Well, the most likely legislative vehicles are tax extenders legislation in and of itself. As mentioned earlier, the budget spending cap legislation, debt ceiling legislation, or infrastructure legislation. And of course, it could be part of just a larger spending plan. Now, with respect to extenders, it's worth noting that the Ways and Means Committee Select Revenues Measures Subcommittee, it used to be the Tax Policy Committee, and now it is back to being called the Select Revenues Measures Subcommittee, did hold a hearing on extenders and disaster relief last Tuesday. Now, it is rumored that the committee is planning to consider legislation on extenders and possibly disaster tax relief after this week's congressional recess. So we'll be monitoring that closely and I'll be sure to tweet updates as soon as we learn them. If you want to follow me on Twitter, just check out at Novogradic, N-O-V-O-G-R-A-D-A-C. So I would like to also share with you some New Market Tax Credit program updates. Novogradic's Bob Ibanez was at the CDFI Coalition Institute event last week. He attended the Treasury panels comprised of CDFI fund staff, And Bob also spoke with some CDFI fund staff about certain program updates during the open office hours with the CDFI fund. Now, there were three updates relating to the new market tax credit of note. And no, there's no new update 
on when the calendar year 2018 allocation awards will be announced. Still, as far as we know, the estimated awards announcements timeframe is still late March or April. But what did we learn? Well, first, we did learn that updated New Market Tax Credit compliance monitoring FAQs are expected to be released before the calendar year 2018 award announcement. Now, the last time that these compliance monitoring FAQs were revised was April of 2017, nearly two years ago. Now, an updated FAQs document can help give community development entities greater clarity on compliance monitoring. It can also sometimes lead to a little bit of confusion. We're hoping for more clarity than confusion. Now, the second new market tax credit update relates to the Awards Management Information System, or AMOS. The CDFI Fund plans to release revised AMOS New Markets Tax Credit data point guidance this week. The CDFI Fund has not publicly disclosed any information about what those data points are, but I'll share any details that are released in next week's podcast. And then the third and final update we learned is that the New Markets Tax Credit Program Office does plan to do site visits after the allocations award announcement. The CDFI Fund's New Market Tax Credit staff conducts site visits of New Market Tax Credit investments to understand how community development entities are using New Market Tax Credits. New Market Tax Credit program staff typically visit one or two businesses or projects financed by a community development entity through the New Market Tax Credit. Now, these are not compliance visits. Program staff also, though, use the site visits to help formulate policy or program enhancements to make the administration of the New Market Tax Credit more efficient and effective. In other words, site visits help the CDFI fund improve the New Market Tax Credit. Now, some other updates about CDFI fund programs. The CDFI fund's program's fiscal year 2019 round is expected to open sometime in April or May, with an award announcement being pushed back to the fourth quarter of calendar year 2019. Also, the Capital Magnet Fund's fiscal year 2019 round is expected to open in early summer. Now, I will share more specific CDFI fund updates as they become available. I did want to touch on one piece of new legislation, or I should say old wine in a new bottle. Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, along with 17 Democratic colleagues, reintroduced a bill that would provide $445 billion, $445 billion to the Housing Trust Fund, $25 billion to the Capital Magnet Fund, and several other investments over the next 10 years. The bill would also include $523 million to help preserve and expand the USDA's rural rental housing portfolio and increase funding for USDA's home ownership loan and grant programs. Now, Senator Warren introduced a version of the bill in September during the last Congress, and House Companion legislation was introduced later in December. Moody's Analytics did release a report last September on last year's version of the bill. That report estimated that the bill would fund up to 3.2 million new housing units for lower income and middle class families. And that would lead to reduction in rents by 10% and create 1.5 million new jobs. Now I have posted a link to the bill's text in today's show notes. Now turning to some other news, the National Park Service has issued its annual report on the historic tax credit incentive. The National Park Service said that it's issued slightly more than 1,000 slightly more than 1,000 certifications of completed work in fiscal year 2018. Historic tax credit equity, per the report, helped finance more than 12,000 new housing units and nearly 7,000 rehabilitated housing units. 
Now, as you can see, the historic tax credit not only preserves important buildings, but it provided nearly 20,000 homes last year. I have included a link to the report in today's show notes. And speaking of reports, the National Low-Income Housing Coalition did issue its annual report on the gap between the number of extremely low-income renters and the number of affordable, available rental homes. Per the report, there's a national shortage of 7 million rental homes for that group. And there is a supply gap in every state. That's no surprise. The report does call for an expansion of the housing trust fund, as well as the low-income housing tax credit, to help deal with that supply gap. I've also included a link to that report in today's show notes as well. And last week, HUD published a notice to revise the fiscal year 2019 for market rents in 10 areas. Eight of those 10 areas are in Oregon and California. Check out our breaking news update on that matter. And, by the way, the CDFI fund did release its updated qualified equity investment issuance report. The amount of qualified equity investment remaining, the amount that hasn't been issued yet, is less than $2.4 billion. Once again, a link to that report is also in today's show notes. Now I'd like to swing to some state-level legislative news that could help increase investment in the affected states. Starting with Ohio, Governor Mike DeWine said in his budget proposal that he's calling for a 10% tax credit for Opportunity Zones investments. DeWine said he'll propose using existing tax credit availability to create the new credit. Now in West Virginia, legislation passed to exempt new Opportunity Zone businesses from both corporate and individual net income tax for 10 years. That bill awaits the signature of Governor Jim Justice. And in Vermont, a bill would allow investors in Opportunity Zones to apply for the state, downtown, and village center tax credit every year. Currently, properties can only apply every other year. And in affordable housing state news, legislation was proposed in Colorado to double the annual state long-term housing tax credits. If passed, the bill would increase Colorado's annual allocation of state tax credits from $5 million to $10 million, and that would start in the year 2020. And then in state renewable energy news, there was legislation introduced in South Carolina that would create a 25% investment tax credit for solar. And there would be an annual statewide cap of $2.5 million, and the credit would begin this year, 2019. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. And as I mentioned in today's podcast, there are a lot of pending announcements that we're waiting for from various government agencies, including Opportunity Zones guidance and the New Markets Task for Allocation Awards announcement. You should make sure that you stay in the loop with these updates and more. You can do that by subscribing to Novogratz's Industry Alert emails. They're free. That's right, they're free. And you can choose the incentives or topic areas for which you would like to receive alerts. You can also follow me on Twitter, both to get a link. I'll send out a link to our subscription center, so you can go there to sign up for these breaking news. But also, my Twitter feed is a good way to stay abreast of breaking news. Well, that's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. 
You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novograd and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.